This is recording number 10805 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the sixth message in the outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 1st, 2009. This message is titled, The Pharisee Within and the Word of Knowledge. Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, we're actually going to begin at the end of chapter uh, 4, but primarily be focused on Acts chapter 5, and we're continuing our series of, series of messages called The Outpouring, and we're making our way through the book of Acts, taking a look at, what the, uh, at the dynamics of the church in its infancy. Expressing our own desire to be more like that. Experiencing the kind of life in Christ that we see lived out in the pages of this book. And last week we talked about the healing of the lame man at the gate beautiful. And uh, some of you will remember that uh, the uh, religious establishment, the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, they were so upset about the fact that a, a man who was born without the uh, use of his legs, uh, he was lame from birth, that this guy was miraculously healed by the power of God. They were mad about that because it upset their deal. Their whole gig was, was in jeopardy because of the name of Jesus. They were threatened by that. And so what they did is they hauled Peter and John, who were the guys who were the delivery persons of this miracle, healing. Uh, they hauled them off to jail, and uh, they, they couldn't figure out what to do with them because they had this, this guy standing right there who had been born lame and was now able to walk and leap and praise God. What could they say about it? So what they ended up doing was just kind of wagging their fingers in the faces of Peter and John and said, don't you ever do this again. And they said, huh? Like, we're going be- to obey you instead of God? You got another thing coming. So they gathered with all of their uh, uh, fellow believers, um, at least 5,000 strong at this point. And uh, they prayed. And you remember, they, they, they said, now, Lord, look on their threats. Verse uh, 29 of Acts 4 says, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. It's our intention, Lord, to honor you by continuing to pursue the assignment that you've given us. We're going to preach this good news. You take care of them. Look on their threats, O Lord, and grant to us that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. We talked last week about how God sent this earthquake just to kind of let them know that they were, they were praying the right thing. I, I want to be that in, in, in the flow of that kind of life in Christ. Amen. Where the assignment that he left us to take his good news to the whole world beats in my heart always. It is the passion of my life. I want it to be. I'm not going to say that it is today, but I want it to be the passion of my life that everything I'm about is serving God. 
And I want to be involved in the miraculous flow of God's work in this world. This thing that we are engaged in, this relationship with Christ, being a Christian is not a cerebral affair. It's not um, religious in the sense of, of just obeying certain sacraments or being involved in certain activities that score points with God. It's about the miraculous power of God reaching into this needy world through me. And doing amazing, wondrous things. And I want to be part of that. And that's what these um, uh, early believers were praying. God, you take care of the threat. We're going to get about the business of seeing your miraculous movement in this world. Now that was their prayer. Then verse five, or chapter 5. Um, follow me down to verse 12. We're going to come back to the first part of this chapter in a minute. Verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Remember, they said, Lord, you take care of the threats. We're going to preach the gospel by stretching forth your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders would be done in the name of your servant, Jesus. Now, verse 12 of chapter 5 uh, shows us that exactly what they prayed is being lived out. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That's a, a part of the temple where, they, where these believers were gathering every day. They were all together, and they had one purpose, one accord. They had that unity. Verse 14, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. There was such a dynamic, wondrous thing going on among these people that everyone was drawn to that. I got to get in on this. This is, I need what they've got. And multitudes were drawn to the Lord. Verse 16, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now that's some amazing stuff. I want I want that. I want that. Now, verse 28. Because what happens is that the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, they're ticked off again because these miracles are happening and these throngs of people are coming to know Christ and they're, they got to stem the tide of this thing quick. So they arrest the apostles um, again. And uh, the next day when they go, oh, well, they, th- they throw them into jail Overnight, an angel comes and uh, opens the prison and they go out free. And the angel says to them, now, what, what you need to do is go back to the temple and just in a public place, start preaching the gospel again. So that's what they do. All right, so the scribes, Pharisees, they get all the, the, you know, the crew together. They're going to interrogate these, these believers. And uh, so they go to fetch them from the prison. And the guy, don't you want to be in that room when the, when the police officer comes back and says, um, they're not there. <laughs> what do you mean they're not there? We threw them in jail yesterday. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, the guards are on duty. The gates are locked. But they're not there. And they're sitting there just stunned. And then somebody else comes in and says, hey. You know those guys you threw in jail yesterday? They're at the temple preaching again. <laughs> Aren't you just, don't you wish you could just be there and see the look on their faces? They can't stamp this thing out no matter what they do. And so 
they uh, send, uh, you know, one of the police officers to go round them up again. But when they go to the temple, these police, police officers are smart enough to know that if they, if they don't do this in a, shall we say, sensitive manner, that the crowd may turn on them. So they kindly, sensitively invite the disciples back to this inquisition that's been arranged. They come. And uh, the religious leaders are about to hammer on them when this other guy, Gamaliel, stands up. And he says, you know, before you make a huge mistake here, think about this, you guys. Remember, and he, and he, and he reminds them of some other uh, little um, sects or cults that had, had been, uh, you know, uh, in vogue within recent memory. And he says, you remember this guy and he had a following and this guy and he had a following. And when the lead guy died in each of these cases, uh, the whole thing just disbanded after a while. He said, now listen, the, the guy that these, are all, these people are all following, he's dead now. This is just some sort of uh, personality culture. Now that the personality is gone, it's going to disband. But if this is really of God and you try to oppose it, you are in serious trouble. And so they go, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll pay attention to that. And, and what they do is basically, once again, just wag their fingers in the disciples' face and say, hey, don't do this anymore. Now, follow with me. Uh, in verse 28... Uh, the uh, scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, a bunch of them, are, are passing down their edict, saying, Did we not strictly command you to teach, uh, not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man, referring to Jesus, this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than you. Verse 40. Um, this is after Gamaliel gives his, his speech and all that. The scribes and Pharisees, it says, they agreed with him, with Gamaliel. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, just for good measure, they decided to smack them around. They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Man, I want to live like that. With a purpose and with a mission that can't be diminished by the conditions and challenges of life. You know, when you lose your job, or some other calamity comes your way. It's just as though there's a Pharisee or a scribe or Sadducee wagging their finger in your face saying, don't, don't mess with me. Don't upset my apple cart. Because, dear one, you who have come to know Christ as your Savior, you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. A serious threat. And so these things come at us often... Simply as a, as a way to derail our, our pursuit of God. Don't mess with me. Stop this. And a lot of times we bite and we get so absorbed in our own little pity party over whatever it is that we're, 
we're concerned about that we end up living at a, at a level far below what God has called us to. I want to escape that. I want to live a full throttle life of commitment to Christ. We read at the end of chapter 4 a prayer that the disciples prayed. Between the, between the end of chapter 4 of, of the book of Acts where they, they pray and there's the earthquake. God See their threats, grant us boldness that we can stretch forth your hand to heal and with signs and wonders proclaim your gospel. Then there are 11 verses before we get to the part where it says, yeah, signs and wonders were being done and multitudes of people were coming to Christ. There's 11 verses at the beginning of chapter 5 that are a hurdle, a barrier they have to get over. Just like it is with us as we pray between our desire for a raw, real, living, vital, supernatural, miraculous, wondrous relationship with God and the fulfillment of that desire is a little thing called a Pharisee. The Pharisee in us. Some of, the, some of you are going to be a little disturbed by this if, if you're you know, not familiar with this. But um, hang in there with me, will you? Chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession now, the reason they did this, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold something, probably land. The reason they did this is because right before that, at the end of chapter 4, this guy named Joseph, or Joseph, who has been nicknamed Barnabas, we're being, remember this guy's name, we're being introduced to a very significant character in the book of Acts right there, Barnabas. Anyway, he is so caught up in his love for God and his love for people that he sells uh, his property and gives the proceeds to the disciples to dispense to people who have need. So Ananias and Sapphira, they want to score some points you know, with God and with people, and so they sell some property. But there's a problem. Verse 2, he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So they, they sold this property, whatever it was, and they, they gave part of it. But they did so in a way that made it seem as though they were giving it all. So they were kind of lying. They were deceiving. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan, remember that, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Nobody was, nobody's, listen Ananias, nobody is making you do this. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon those who heard these things. Yeah, I would think so. Now, before you get too disturbed about this, think this through that these are people who are believers or followers of Christ. They exited this world and they're in the presence of the Lord for eternity. 
They didn't suffer. They, you know, they weren't tortured or anything like that. But the Lord said, this can't go on. This is serious stuff, and I can't allow it to infect the church. What was so serious that he had to call these people home to glory? Pharisaism. A Pharisee is the incarnation of religion. It's the humanized uh, expression of religion. And religion is human efforts to gain favor with a God or become God-like. And it is focused, always focused on, on externals. They wanted to be seen as spiritual. The problem, the problem with Phariseeism, if it isn't stopped, it will infect the life of the Spirit. In uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, there is this passage that Jesus said. He's quoting from Isaiah, actually. And he said, hypocrites. He's talking to the Pharisees. He says, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Oh, great God, we worship and praise you. You know I keep all the Ten Commandments. You know I tithe. You know I, I give to the poor. You know all the good things that I do. But in my heart, I'm over here. Judgmental, self-justifying, materialistic. Jesus said, you, you Pharisees are one way on the outside, but your heart is far from me. And at the early stages of his church, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to let this take root. This thing about an external relationship with me. Dear one, our faith and walk in Christ is nothing about externals. It's the internal stuff that matters with God, not the external. And uh, Jesus was staying in a very emphatic way, saying, I'm not going to let this get a hold of my church. Uh, if you find yourself, um, if you find that little uh, Pharisee rising up with you, within you, remember what Jesus said. He said a little, uh, he was talking about the Pharisees and he says, re, he warned his disciples in Matthew 16, take note of, beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees. And then in Galatians 5, 9, Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Unless dealt with decisively, Phariseeism will infect the whole of our spiritual lives. Dear one, if you find that little Pharisee rising up in you, haul him out back and slit his throat. Do not mess around with that. Okay, that's the end of Sermon 1. I have five minutes to give you Sermon 2. The reason that this all comes up is because Peter, in, in, in this passage, um, exercises a gift of the Spirit, the word of knowledge. He knows something he could not know any other way. And every time we, as we move through the book of Acts, we encounter one of the gifts of the Spirit, I'm going to pause and talk to you about it. Because if we're going to live out this thing that we all long for, this life in Jesus that's a full throttle relationship with him, we need to embrace the, the supernatural pure, uh, spiritual tools that he's given to us. And one of them, uh, here's the list from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, the list of the gifts of the Spirit. 
these things that God has made available to us to be able to serve him miraculously, powerfully. We've already talked about some of them today. We're going to be talking for just a brief minute, actually a few minutes, about the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is the miraculous provision of a piece of information God has that would not otherwise be available to us. Here, if you want to, is a list of several places in the scripture where this gift is is in action. And for what purpose, if you want to pursue it further. It's the miraculous provision of a piece of information God has that would not otherwise be available to us. And this is so important, so critical. I can't tell you how often... Uh, I have experienced tremendous breakthroughs in ministry with people because of this simple gift. And it's not something any of us that like we talked about last week. These are gifts that we don't, that don't reside in us. They don't, we don't possess them. We are simply the delivery persons. When one is needed, we get to be the UPS man who delivers the package. We get to deliver the gift of a word of knowledge to someone who needs it. I'm going to close this service in a very unusual way for me and just tell you a few stories because I want you to see, and I'm going to use examples examples that don't have to do with anybody here, so nobody get nervous. But I just want you to see how this gift can function through some idiot just like me. You don't have to be any, you don't have to be some kind of hyper super spiritual Christian, just you and me. We get to live these things out. And I want you to see how it works and the value of it. And then we'll go home. So I'm going to tell you about the first time this ever happened to me. I'll make this as quick as I can because I think some of you have heard this story before. But I was sitting in a church service just like you are this morning. Um, I was visiting a church actually, a friend of mine's church. I was sitting there and all through the worship time I kept feeling this. It is hard, so hard to explain. But I just kept feeling like God was kind of nudging me. And I got the impression he wanted to use me. And my first thought was, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a guest here. I know the pastor, but I'm a guest here. I don't have any official role in this service. And it was a big church. There was tons of people there. What, how is this? And I'm, so I had this argument going on with my mind, but still I felt like God was <laughs> nudging me. And uh, so finally I, I, I said, okay, okay, but I have no idea what you want me to do. So you're going to have to make that clear. <laughs> So I'm waiting there and I'm waiting there. And you know, there are these tiny moments in a church service when things kind of just stop for a minute. And those would come and I'd, and I'd feel like now, now, now. And I'd go, no, no, no. And I finally thought I survived the whole first part of the service. And we got past of all of that, you know, and uh, that I was going to actually make it out of that meeting without having to do anything. And then, then there came one of those pregnant pauses and I found myself getting up out of my seat. And I'm thinking, please, no, no, no. So I'm standing up. And the pastor knows me. So he, you know, he didn't call the ushers to haul me out or anything like that. And he, he figured I, you know, I, if I was interrupting things, which I was, it was probably a good reason. So I stood up. I still have no idea what I'm going to do or say. And I just opened my mouth. And here's what I said. There's a woman here today who's come to the end of your rope. You're here today as a last resort. You are about to give up on God. But he says to you, if you'll wait just a little longer, the thing you seek, the thing you desire, will come to pass. And then I sat down. 
And I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened with the rest of the service because all I was doing for the pastor's sermon and everything else was plotting my exit strategy. I was looking for where the doors were and figuring out what the closest route was so that I could get out of there fast. And so the service comes to a close, and I'm going. I'm running for the nearest door. I had it all planned out. It took the whole pastor's sermon. I got it, the whole thing figured out. I'm on my way, and somebody sitting right behind me, this woman sitting right behind me, got my shirt. Oh, no. And I turn around, and she's, she's dripping. I mean, she's like Niagara Falls, you know, just flooded with tears. She said, that was me. She said, last night, I, I, my, I'm a believer my husband is not. We have a horrible relationship. Our family is coming un, undone. And last night he locked me out of the house. He told me never to come back. And I have been praying so hard for him. And he would come to know Jesus. I've been praying for our family and it's just getting worse. I came here this morning to, to tell God that I was done with him. And then you stood up right in front of me. And you said those things. I'm going to wait. And I got the report later that within a month of that time, her husband was saved and baptized. Tell me that doesn't do something to your life when you're in the midst of being used by God like that. It had nothing to do with me, but just, and I almost missed it. There was a woman I was praying for one time. And, and she had one of these kind of just, I don't know, fuzzy needs. You know how it is? Some people, they'll just say, I, I want prayer, but I don't, I don't, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. You ever had that? It's so hard to minister to them. What do you do? <laughs> so we, you know, I was with several people and a bunch of them just started praying. Thank God, because I didn't know what to do or say. And I just kind of got off to, in the corner by myself and I just, God, what do you want to do here? And I felt like the Lord gave me this picture of a, like a Hallmark greeting card. And I could see the back of it. I could see the Hallmark name on it. And I, I thought, what is that? But, you know, you get, this, you get into this thing where you just feel God kind of, you know, pushing you forward. So I said to this lady, I said, does Hallmark card mean anything to you? And then the, the Niagara Falls again. And she goes, she says, I... You, you have no idea. I, 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 greeting cards are the most important thing to me. I send them constantly to people. And, and my own mother did not send me a birthday card this week. This week. And my heart has just been aching and broken over that. And I felt so selfish about it. That's why I didn't say anything to you guys. Well, because God revealed something that none of us would have known because she wasn't offering the information, then we could minister to her about what was really going on in her life, not just some sort of fuzzy thing. Another time I was in a group of people and when they were, they were praying for a guy um, and, uh, you know, lots of prayer going on and, and stuff. And I felt like the Lord whispered a man's name, a co- very common um, you know, English name, I think it was, I don't remember, but I think it was something like John, you know, or Dave or, you know, some uh, uh, very common English name. And I thought, well, what, what kind of information is that? What am I supposed to do with that? So I, did, I didn't do anything with it. The, the prayer time passed and we went on and um, 
sometime later, I think it was during the next week, I ran into this guy that had been, we'd been praying for. And I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, well, kind of the same. He didn't, you know, and I said, well, um, I, I need to tell you something. And, I, and I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to shake a little bit. <laughs> I need to tell you something that I, I, I felt bad about ever since we had that prayer, for, prayer time for you the other night because I didn't tell you something I, I think God has been saying to me. So I said, does the name John mean anything to you? And he says, he says, well, that's my real name. So I knew him by another name. Everybody called him something else. I, he says, that's my real name. He says, it's my father's name. And we have had a very tormented, tortured, strained relationship for many, many years. And he's coming to visit me in a few days. Well, we ought to probably pray about that. <laughs> so we did. You know, we could have, you know, I could have prayed for him for a month of Sundays and never got close to the real need. But God provided that. Another time I was in a circle of prayer. I was standing around with a group of people. We joined hands and it was just going to be one of those things where we just all kind of pray. Oh, God bless Susie and Joey and, you know. But as soon as I got a hold of the hand of the guy standing next to me, it was like there was like a, an electric current that, that passed between us. Now, it wasn't. It wasn't. I'm sure he didn't feel anything. But on my part, when I got a hold of his hand, it was like, you know, just... Not like a lightning bolt, but like a mild shock. And I, and I found myself letting go of the person's hand on this side. And I turned around and I faced him and I said, what's happening tomorrow? There was, and, and there's, there was no, I know some of you are getting worried now. Um, and it, it, it's really, I'm not, I'm really not off my rocker. I, there was no forethought in my mind. I didn't pause and think, now what am I going to say here? I just, this just happened that fast. I, I took his hand, let go of this one, turned and faced him. I said, what's happening tomorrow? Tomorrow, Niagara Falls starts again. And he says to me, he says, I'm turning 50 tomorrow. And I feel absolutely useless. Well, we all gathered around him and we could really pray for that guy. And, and, and actually see God do something. One time I was preaching just like this. I know I'm, I'm rambling on here, but I want, I want, I'm going to tell you all these stories because I want you to feel like this is something could happen in your life because that's the point. That's the point. Another time I was preaching just like this in another church and right in the middle of my sermon. I don't know. I, somehow it doesn't occur to God that I might be busy with other things, <laughs> you know. But right in the middle of my sermon... I, I, I see this image in my, in my mind. You know, it's not like a movie screen or anything like that, but I can picture it, you know, a, a knife with a red handle. And I'm thinking, okay. And, and I, so I said, is there someone here today who has a knife with a red... I'm right in the middle of my sermon. Is there someone here today who has a knife with a red handle on your person right now? <laughs> and this... This little woman in the back row, a woman, she raises her hand like this. And she pulls it out of her purse. And, and I, without thinking, I said, dear woman, God has interrupted this service to tell you, you no longer need to fear. 
He wants to break the spirit of fear over your life today. You've come to the ground of the Almighty who loves you more than you could ever know. And that woman received ministry that day. I was in Taiwan uh, about a year and a half ago, I guess. And we were praying for our students that we had in the class there. And and, uh, one of the staff members uh, asked for prayer. And uh, so he came in a circle. We were all praying for him. And I felt like the Lord said to me, Randy, tell him, step up and step out. And that's all I got. Step up, step out. So I said to him, I said, Josh, I said, I don't know why, but I believe God wants you to hear these words. Step up and step out. Well, what I didn't know and didn't learn for six months later was that he had been asked to um, become the leader of that school, not just to be a staff member, but to be the leader of that school. And the decision was due that day. And he'd been wrestling with it for weeks. And to hear God say, step up, step out, gave him the boldness to step forward into something new. Another time I was praying for a woman um, and felt like the Lord said to me to tell her this. I, I actually, it began with a picture. I saw an image of an of a incense stick, you know, um, giving off this beautiful aroma. And I, I said, I said uh, Anita, I said, I believe the, the Lord wants me to say to you that you, to him, you are like an incense stick giving off a wondrous aroma. And there was more to it, but, but she starts, you know, Niagara Falls again. She starts crying. She says, you know, she was, she's Taiwanese, and uh, her, her native language is Mandarin Chinese. And she said, Randy, she said, my, my Chinese name is Incense. You don't know what this means to me. And there's more on my list here, but that's enough. I'm telling you these things because what we read about in the pages of the book of Acts, God wants to replicate now here among us. 